0: to be getting more selfish, more self-centered, and more self-directed every day. In fact, the advertising industry preys on the fact that people want more, and they want it for themselves. Not for others, but for themselves. And so they want to gratify the human flesh. And even in our cell phones, you get your cell phone out, right? And you think about this. We are so self-absorbed nowadays. people are on their phone looking, and they even take pictures of themselves. People take pictures of themselves. They're called selfies. You don't do that, Alan, right? <laughs> oh, that <laughs> Yes, sir. I don't need the microphone. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> I don't even need one, actually. Uh, so. We're thankful, though, that man by nature is selfish. But in the new nature that we have, we are definitely the opposite of that. We're Christ-oriented and others-oriented. And that's the challenge for us every day. The Lord Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus never pulled any punches. He never sugarcoated anything. He never made it easy. Nowadays, we have the expression easy believism. It's easy to receive Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, in many countries of the world, it's not easy to receive Jesus at all. Because when they, people get saved, they get persecuted, they get thrown into prisons. Many of them are tortured. Many of them are put to death even today for living for Christ. How about us in the United States? Have we got a little soft? Have we got a little comfortable? The Lord wants us to shake us a little bit. And he wants us to remind ourselves how important it is to live completely for him and to live for others and not to be thinking all the time just of ourselves. The title of our message today is Living Selflessly and Sacrificially. Living Selflessly and Sacrificially. Someone said the problem with the church today is the church has gotten out of the rowboat and into the yacht. And what that means is you get out of the rowboat where you're rowing and working as a group and as a team, like you see some of these races where they're just going fast down the course. We've gotten out of that, and we've gotten into the yacht. And when you're on a yacht, you sit on the yacht chairs there and the chairs of the ship, and and you're served. Others serve you on that ship or on the luxury liner or whatever it is. And so the church nowadays, we have become more takers than givers, and we've become more spectators than participants. And the Lord wants us to give our all, and he wants us to lay down our life for him and serve him. Our text this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verses 14 and 15. Paul, writing to the Corinthians about that great love that compelled him, He says this, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. If the Lord Jesus Christ did that for us, and he laid down his life, and he died in our place, How much should we be willing to give our all to Him? That is the challenge that we have today. And we're going to look at a couple things today, just two points. Number one is the old nature is self. It's all about self. That's the old nature. And secondly, the new nature is all about Christ and about others. You know, I love the story of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a student at... Emmaus Bible College when Bill McDonald was there Bill McDonald was the president for quite a few years of Emmaus Bible College and Jim Elliott was a saved man and he had a passion for the Lord he wanted to go off and serve on the mission field which he did and so he was studying there Emmaus and gathering in all the teaching there and everything he could absorb and so then he went off to serve the Lord down in I believe it was in Peru was where they were They went to some hostile places down there, and there were some some, uh, natives there who were um, cannibals, basically, is what they were. And they saw these missionaries, strangers coming into their area. They saw it as a threat, and they killed them. They killed every single one of those men. I believe there were three of them at that time, and Jim Elliott was one of those men And you say, well, how sad. He was killed at such a young age. He had such a future ahead of him as a missionary to serve the Lord. Well, only the Lord knows in the hearts of people and what timing he uses and what happens in our lives. But I love the quote by Jim Elliott. You've heard it before, but it's such a blessing. He said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that true? He gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's things that we have, um, earthly things, we cannot keep them. When we leave this world, we're leaving them all behind. So to strive to to get these things that are going to be burned up and destroyed and left behind is not anything compared to the glory that we're going to have with the Lord. And those heavenly things are what we should be striving for, for the salvation of souls, for the building up of God's people, for the establishment of his church and churches throughout the land and throughout the world. That should be our priority. That was Jim Elliott's priority, and that should be ours as well. Another quote that has always challenged me, and I found it in the, uh, it was once in the Christian magazine that we get, the missionary magazine, that came, and so I cut out the little piece of this quote, and I put it up on my wall in my laundry room, and It's by C.T. Studd, again, a familiar one. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. These are great words. These are excellent words and words to live by, but we can't just have them up here. We can't just repeat them. We can't just put them on our walls or write them down in a book. We have to live them. That's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to live them. He wants us to make sacrifices for him. He wants us to live selflessly and sacrificially. And it is the challenge for us in our lives. Well, let's look at that, that old nature of self. Self is very ugly. The old nature is very ugly. And it would have been easy, wouldn't it, if the Lord had just said, as soon as we get saved, you're gonna take off, your old nature is gonna be gone. And you're going to have just this new nature of Christ. You're never going to sin. You're never going to have any bad thoughts. You're never going to have any bad actions. You never lie, never steal, nothing. None of those things. But that's not what God did. He says, I'm going to leave the old nature there to remind you, but I'm going to give you the new nature to empower you. And that new nature can overcome the old nature as we surrender to the Lord and let him have his way in our lives. You know, the story is told of the rich young ruler, and I love this story. This young man, he came to the Lord. He was so full of, of himself and so full of energy, and he comes up to the Lord, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that was his first mistake. What must I do? You can't do anything to merit it. You can't do anything to get salvation. You have to receive it by faith. And so after Jesus told him, why do you call me good? There's only one good who's God. And he says, you know the commandments. And he named a number of these commandments off. And he named them off. And He says, well, master, I've done all those things since I was a little boy. What more do I lack? And one of the gospel writers includes in there, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says, one thing you lack, if you want to be perfect, Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. This rich young ruler turned around and left so fast because it says he had great possessions. He had a lot of money. He was not willing to go and sell everything he had to give it up. Now, when we get saved, God doesn't ask us to do that, does he? He does not. He doesn't ask anybody to do that. But he knew the rich young ruler had this issue that had to be dealt with. And that rich young ruler was not going to get saved while he was holding on to these riches, holding on to all this money and possessions that he had. And so the Lord says, you have to give it up. And if you're here today and you've, you've been holding back, you haven't received Christ, you're holding on to some sin in your life that has been important to you, that you've had in your life, that you're not willing to give up, The Lord puts his finger on it this morning and says, now's the time. Don't wait any longer. Accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be born again. Don't let that one thing keep you out of heaven. It would be tragic, and it is tragic, for those who go into eternity without Christ. This rich young ruler, we don't know, because it doesn't mention him ever again that he ever got saved. And what a tragedy it would be to be so close to salvation, right in the presence of Jesus, and all he had to do was accept him and, and follow him, and follow what he told him to do, but he didn't do it. Yes, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we begin a new life. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He gives us a new heart. And he allows us to have a new life. And thank God for that. But he tells us this. As Christians, he tells us to take up our cross. And he tells us to deny ourselves daily, take up our cross, and follow him. A cross can be very heavy. Mike was sharing on it. It can be rugged. It can be a lot of splinters. Mike was mentioning that. It can be very heavy. It can be very um, sometimes embarrassing to people, certain things. The cross can be a shame to this world. And so, we are not ashamed of the cross. We're thankful for it. But we have to take up our cross daily and follow the Lord. So the question is this, what sacrifice am I willing to make to the Lord Jesus Christ who made the ultimate sacrifice of sacrificing his life for me? That's the question all of us have to come to grip with this morning. You know, the disciples, I can relate to them very well. These disciples, especially pre- Pentecost disciples, Peter and James and John and all of them, they, they were pre-Pentecost. In other words, they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. They were very new and green and everything like this. And so James and John, they wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand in his glory. So they were thinking of self. They were thinking of what's in it for us. We want to sit, Jesus, one on your right hand and one on your left hand. The scripture even tells us their mother came, Mrs. Zebedee. And she came and she she says, I have a request for you. He says, what would you request? Well, that my sons, my two glorious, grand, wonderful sons that I love so much, James and John, might sit one on your left hand and one on your right hand. And Jesus said, this is not mine to give. He says, but it's prepared by the Father for whoever he has prepared it for. The other disciples got mad at them. But you know what? They were just as selfish and they were thinking just as much of themselves because on the road as they were going to the cross, heading toward Jerusalem, what were the disciples conversing about? Who's the greatest? Oh, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And they were having a debate. And here their Savior is walking like a... Flint with his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die on the cross. And they're thinking, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. They didn't say, oh, no, you're the greatest, brother. No, you're better than me. No, they didn't say that. They were each one thinking they were the greatest. And so the Lord had, had to deal with his disciples. And so, too, he has to deal with the self in us, and he wants us to be unselfish and humble. And then, of course, I love Peter because he was always like the spokesman of the group. And sometimes he'd say things that were kind of like out of place and so forth. But in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27, he said this to the Lord. Now, can you imagine? Here, the Lord has just been speaking some powerful words. And then he says to Jesus, he says, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So even then, he's thinking... Well, you're talking about giving up all these things, and here we've already done it, Lord. We've given up family and possessions and time and all these things, and we've followed you. What's in it for us? You know, you've heard that expression, what's in it for me? And that's the last question we as Christians should ever be asking, what's in it for me? What am I going to get? What are going to be my rewards? He's going to reward us, but that shouldn't be our motive right now. Our motive should be out of love, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for the love of Christ compels us. That's the best motive we can have to serve the Lord, to sacrifice for him, to live unselfishly, is our love for the Savior and what he's done for us. But as I mentioned, self is kind of a bad thing. There's a lot of self words that are not very pleasant. Self-worth, for example. People think self-worth. I'm pretty good. Self-worth. No, you're not. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. That's not, the Bible never teaches you anything about self-worth. You'll never find it, either that word there or you'll never find the principle there of self-worth at all. The other one that's kind of ugly is self-importance. Some people just seem to be so full of themselves. They feel they're so important. You can't get along without me. Whether it's at work or at church or home or wherever, I'm I'm like God's gift to mankind. And we start thinking of that. And then we start believing the devil's lies. That's self-importance. Another one is so uh, terrible nowadays is self-acceptance. Oh, I want to accept myself. When you really think about that, accept yourself the way you are in sin? No. We want to be accepted by God, by his grace. That's the only acceptance we care about. Another one that's interesting is self-determination. I can do it myself. I've got a plan. I'm going to do it. I'm going to carry it out in five years or ten years. Like Remember, you used to have the five-year and ten-year plan? How am I going to know if I'm even going to be around in five or ten years? And nowadays, with people changing jobs so often, that question really isn't relevant very often nowadays anyway. Self-determination. Another one is self-help. I love this one. Self-help. Like I can somehow help myself. I can somehow save my soul and make myself fit for God's kingdom. I can't do it. I can't do anything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Not a little bit. Not pretty much. Nothing. And here's another one, one of my favorites. Do it yourself. Have you ever heard that expression? Do it yourself. That doesn't work. It really doesn't. Well, I found a quote that was humorous, and it kind of applies to all of us at one time or of our lives or another. Someone once said this, when it comes to self, at age 20, we worry about what others think of us at age 20. At age 40, we don't care what they think of us. And at age 60, and I'm going to hit it this year, so I better learn this, Bill. And at 60, we discover they haven't been thinking about us at all. <laughs> It's a discovery. It's a process. From 20, you're worried about what people think about you. 40, you don't care. And 60, you realize they haven't been thinking about you at all. So true. Self. Self. But in life, we have to make sacrifices. In life, we have to give up something that may be good to get something better. And that's what happens in the Christian life. We have to give up something good to gain the better. We have to give up something better to gain the best. And the best of all is we have to give up that which is the best of this world in order to have the best of heaven. And that's what the Lord wants from us. He wants us to be willing to give up certain things in order to gain other things. Well, there's a humorous story of two friends that met for dinner at a nice fish restaurant. And they, they were good friends, and they were sitting down together across the table. And they both decided to order the Filet of sole. It was probably the special of the evening. And so as Gina always used to say, what's your special? And she'd always want to know, well, the special is Filet of sole, Gina. It's on the menu tonight. So when the waiter came, he didn't bring two plates of Filet of sole. He brought one platter with two pieces on it, one large piece and one smaller piece. So the one man picked up the plate and he took the serving fork and he took the little piece and he reached across the table to his friend and served him the small piece of fish. Well, you certainly do have your nerve, exclaimed the friend. What's troubling you, asked the other. Look what you've done. You've given me the little piece and kept the big one for yourself. Well, how could you have done that? His friend replied, well... If you were serving, what would you have done? He says, well, I would have given you the big piece, of course. Well, replied the man, I've got it, haven't I? (laughs) And at this, they both laughed. But it's so true. It's so true. (laughs) We want the bigger piece in life, don't we? And we say, if we have to give the smaller piece to somebody else, it's okay. They'll get a little piece. And so, too, it is true that self gets us into so many problems when we realize how we give less for others and more for ourselves. Self can ruin our lives. It can destroy our lives. It's it's destroyed marriages, it's destroyed churches, it's destroyed households, everything. And so we have to crucify the flesh. And that's a hard thing because the, the flesh doesn't like to be crucified. And the one thing about crucifixion is normally when someone is crucified on the cross, they die, right? The two thieves, they die. Jesus died, and of course, he rose again. But the thing about crucifying the flesh is when you crucify the flesh when you get saved, it doesn't die. It comes back. Well, wait a minute. I just crucified the flesh. It's back again. Well, I'm going to crucify it today, too. Okay, I crucified it today. Guess what? That old flesh keeps coming back and back and back and back and we can all relate to it because that old nature is still there and so we have to we have to conquer it we have to we have to deny ourselves take up our cross daily and follow him we have to ask for his strength and power to overcome that old nature secondly the new nature is Christ and others I know Bill this is one of your favorite verses it's one of my favorite verses too It's so convicting and so encouraging. At the same time, it's Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I learned this many years ago, and it has stuck with me. And when I saw this verse, it was just amazing. It says this, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life of the flesh... Excuse me. It is no longer I but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, Paul never bragged about his, his commitment to Christ. He never bragged about how long he prayed or how many verses he knew or how many uh, things he had done. He never did. The only time he ever mentioned it was in connection with his sufferings, the things he suffered for Christ. And how many want to join Paul in those things? That's a different story, too. But in his life, from the moment he got saved there in Damascus until they killed him, he was all for Christ. He was all for Christ. His life that he lived was fully dedicated to the Lord. And so we can choose today either a life of selflessness or a life of selfishness. It's our choice. And the Lord wants us to make the right choice. A story is told of a young Isaac Newton. And we all know that Isaac Newton was the one who had the falling apple, he discovered gravity, and he wrote all kinds of different things. But I learned about the story about Isaac Newton that is going to amaze you even more. Listen to this story. Well, in the, in the 1600s, he revolutionized the whole thing when it came to astronomical studies. But few of us know that Edmund Haley... What he did to help Isaac Newton. It was Haley who challenged Newton to think through his original notions, and Haley corrected, corrected his mathematical errors and prepared geometrical figures to support his discoveries. Haley co- coaxed, coaxed the hesitant Newton to write his great work, Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. Haley edited it. Supervised the publication and actually financed its printing costs, even though Newton was wealthier and could have easily afforded the printing costs. Historians call it one of the most selfless examples in the annals of science. Newton began almost immediately to receive rewards for his prominence, Haley received little credit. He did use the principles to predict the orbit and return of a certain comet that would later bear his name, Halley's Comet. But only after his death did he receive any acclaim. And because the comet only returns every 76 years, not too much notice was ever given to him. But he was a devoted scientist who didn't care who received the credit as long as the cause was being advanced. And I thought, wow, that puts a lot of us as Christians to shame. If we're willing to not care who gets the credit, but only that the Lord gets the glory. And it doesn't matter if anybody claps for me. It doesn't matter if anybody acknowledges me. It doesn't matter if my name is written on a paper that I am doing this or I am doing that. It doesn't matter because the only thing that matters is to glorify the Lord. He he counts it. To our account. He will reward us for it, but on earth we may not receive any accolades, but in heaven we will. By being unselfish, by being sacrificial, and by serving the Lord, it is the greatest example we can have to people around us today. They can see that we live humble and godly lives in all sacrificialness, and we can be a blessing. In Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, Paul tells the Christians there in Philippi how they should respond regarding their selves and, by their, and, and, and their attitudes. He says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You know, when you're around a humble person that doesn't care if they get the credit or not, you like to be around them. But on the other hand, if you're around a person that all the time has to be right in every conversation, every argument, has to make sure you know that they know it, make sure that they get the credit for it and that they're given that, you don't like to be around people like that. And someone once said, there's three types of Christians today. Rowboat Christians, sailboat Christians, and steamboat Christians. The rowboat Christian, you have to push them. The sailboat Christian, they always go with the wind. Whatever the wind is, wherever it blows, they go with it. But the steamboat Christians make up their mind to do God's will. And when they know what God's will is, they steam right on through until they complete what God has given them to do. So we don't want to be rowboat Christians, where we have to be prodded and pulled and tugged. We don't want to be sailboat Christians that just kind of floating along at the wind, whatever the wind, wind takes us one way one day, takes us another day, we don't have any direction. We want to be steamboat Christians and thank God in our church today we have a lot of steamboat Christians that are just going on for Jesus and I thank God for that. So to be fruitful, to be effective, we have to be surrendered. We have to be selfless and we have to be humble. And we have to be self-sacrificing for the Savior. And when Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he talked about these two natures we've talked about today in in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 24, he says this, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which is growing corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We were talking about righteousness at the breaking of bread this morning. None of us have a righteousness of our own that's going to get us anywhere. We can't be holy on our own. Only as we come to Christ and let him wash us our sins away can we be righteous and holy in his sight. And he wants us to put off that old nature, that old self-nature, and put on Christ. Another scripture says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So let's remember today that the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of selflessness. It's a life of humility. It's a life of giving to others and letting others benefit. It's putting others above ourselves. Because the self-life is not going to be getting us anywhere. Self is very stubborn, I know it for myself, very stubborn, very resistant, resistant to change, resistant to God's will. And so the new nature is exactly the opposite. It's a new nature that's unselfish, sacrificial, and it's the best life we can live this side of heaven. Because when we get to heaven, we will live completely for the Lord's glory. Before we conclude this morning, I'm going to read a hymn that's an old one. And the words of this hymn are very, very powerful indeed. Please close your eyes and listen to this And as the Lord speaks to you because it spoke to me. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be when I proudly said to Jesus, All of self and none of thee. All of self and none of thee. All of self and none of thee. thee. When I proudly said to Jesus, All of self and none of thee. Yet he found me. I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree. And my wistful heart said faintly, Some of self and some of thee. Some of self and some of thee. Some of self and some of thee. And my wistful heart said faintly, Some of self and some of thee. Day by day his tender mercy, Healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered less of self and more of thee. Less of self and more of thee. Less of self and more of thee. Brought me lower while I whispered less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heaven, deeper than the deepest sea. Lord, thy love at last has conquered none of self, And all of thee. None of self and all of thee. None of self and all of thee. Lord thy love at last has conquered. None of self and all of thee. That might not be true of us till we get to glory. Because that old self, it's going to rear up its head. It may not be ever true. But it should be our goal and desire. None of self and all of thee. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, today we're so thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful that we're saved by grace, Lord, through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins, and Lord, we did not deserve it. We were sinners, we were aliens and strangers, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. but we thank you that you saved us, Lord. You saved us from a life of misery and sin And we thank you that you gave us a new life. Lord, help us to live a victorious life. Help us to live unselfishly in this world, sacrificially. And Lord, it's our desire, and it may not be true till we get to heaven, but none of self and all of thee. This is our heart's desire, Lord, that we would sacrifice and give and serve you every day. And whatever you ask us to do, whatever sacrifice you ask us to make, whatever you ask us to give up, May we do it willingly, and may we do it sacrificially, and may we do it selflessly. And so we pray that you'll help us to remember these things this week as things come up in our lives, selflessly, living selflessly and sacrificially, Lord. I pray it for myself more and more. I pray it for each one in the congregation. And I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they will accept you today, Lord Jesus, and be born again. Leave the old life behind and go on for a new life that goes into eternity with Christ. We ask this now in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen.